0: These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of Jordan, that is, in Araba, opposite Suf, between Parim and Tophel, Laban, Hezeroth, and Dezab. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barne by the Mount Seir road. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites, all that the Lord had commanded to him concerning them. This was after he defeated Sion, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, and at Edrai, and defeat Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashrath, East of the Jordan, in the territory of Moab, Moses began to expound this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough in this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring people of Arab, in the mountains and the western foothills, in the Negev and along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, as far as the great river of the Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. Now we're going to continue um, with 126 through 27. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, The Lord hates us. So you brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites and to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls in the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God is going before you, will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son, all the way you went with him until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God, who went ahead of you on your journey, in fire by night and a cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you were to go. When the Lord heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore, "No one from this evil generation shall see this good land I swore to your ancestors, except Caleb." "'Son of Jephunneh. "'He will see it, and I will give him and his descendants "'the land he set his feet on, "'because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. "'Because of you, the Lord became angry with me also, "'and said, You shall not enter it either. "'But your assistant Joshua, son of Nun, will enter it. "'Encourage him, because he will lead Israel to inherit it. "'And the little ones that you said would be taken captive, "'your children who do not know yet good from bad.' They will enter the land. I will give it to them, and they will take possession of it. But as for you, turn around and set set out toward the desert along the route of the Red Sea. Then you replied, We have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight as the Lord our God commanded us. So every one of you put on his weapons, thinking it was easy to go up the hill country. But the Lord said to me, Tell them, Do not go up and fight. Because I, I will not be with you, you will be defeated by your enemies. So I told you, but you go. Sorry, but you would not listen. You rebelled against the Lord's command, and in your arrogance you marched up into the hill country. The Amorites who lived in those hills came out against you. They chased you like a swarm of bees and beat you down from Seir all the way to Hormah. But you came back and wept before the Lord. But he paid no attention to your weeping and turned a deaf ear to you. And so you stayed in Kadesh many days, all the the time you spent there. Then we turned back and set out toward the wilderness, along the route to the Red Sea. And the Lord had directed me. For a long time, he made way around the hill country of Seir. Then the Lord said to me, You have made your way around this hill country long enough. Now turn north. Give the people these orders. You are about to pass through the territory of your relatives, the descendants of Esau. You live in Seir. They will be afraid of you, but be very careful. Do not provoke them to war, for I will not give you any of their land, not even enough to put your foot on. I have given to Esau the hill country of Seir as his own. You are to pay them in silver for the food you eat and the water you drink. The Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He has, watched you, uh, he has watched over your journey through this vast wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you, and you have not lacked anything. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to
1: God. Thank you, Anna. You did a brilliant job. Don't let any nerves get you next time you come up for Deuteronomy. That was fantastic. Deuteronomy, guys, how do you feel? Uh, you know, Anna said, oh, no, when she found out. How do you feel about that? Um, some of you are thinking, what's a Deuteronomy and that's a fair question. Um, it's a f- fifth book of the Bible, the great slayer of Bible reading plans. I remember when I was 14, I'd become a Christian and my youth group was talking consistently about how good the Bible was. It was the word of God, he'll speak to you. And I said, okay, well, I'm gonna read the Bible, but no one really taught me what I should do with that. So I just kind of picked up my Bible at home and just started at Genesis, got into Exodus and I was like, kind of weird, but cool. Got to Leviticus and I was like, I have no idea what's going on here. Got to Numbers and I was like, there are just pages of Numbers here. So I gotta be honest with you, I skipped over that. I got to Deuteronomy and I was just beyond confused. You know, I understood like there were some people, it was historical, there was stuff happening on, but it just confused me to no end. And for years after that, even as I progressed in my faith as a Christian, um, those first five books, and particularly Deuteronomy, just continued to be a mystery to me. Obviously, they were important to the Jewish people back in the day. Um, In fact, they would memorize all five books of the Pentateuch in Hebrew as children. And we struggled to get through it in a Bible reading plan, and they've just memorized it. It was so important for them, but maybe it doesn't have a lot of meaning for us. Um, If you feel like that, let me just promise you, you're not alone. Um, There's a quote about to come up on the screen from our revered senior pastor, Paul Dale. Very profound, very important. Here's what he said. I thought Deuteronomy was super boring, but it's awesome. You know, if Paul Dale can honestly own up to that after years of Bible college, many years of following the Lord Jesus, we are not alone if you feel that. And in fact, I really want to show you that Deuteronomy is a brilliant book that can speak into our faithfulness and our life here today, slightly less profound than Paul Dale. The next quote from Fee and Stewart, here's what they say, Deuteronomy has more influence on the rest of the biblical story than any other book. It's a big call. Than any other book of the Bible, Deuteronomy has more significance to the biblical story. Um, Chris Wright, a scholar of the Old Testament, said that Deuteronomy is kind of like the Romans of the Old Testament. And those of you who have been following Jesus for a while, you're like, Romans is where it's at. So Deuteronomy must be good then, right? Absolutely. Deuteronomy is essential to understanding the biblical picture. Let me show you why. Deuteronomy is this recommitment from God to His people with His covenant. Um, this commitment to how they would live under Him and how He would be faithful to them. Deuteronomy literally means second law. Not that He gave them you know, another law on top of the first one, but after Israel had shown their unfaithfulness the first time, they ended up wandering in the desert for 40 years. It's a hard slog. Um, he wanted to show them and speak to them clearly that He was committed to them and that they were to be His people. He's chosen them. And now it's their turn to choose Him. That's Deuteronomy. It's this picture of what it's like to live under God. If you are faithful to God, Deuteronomy says you'll be blessed by God. But if you're disobedient, if you walk contrary to the way that God has laid out, you'll experience the judgment of God you'll experience the curses of God. And that's why it makes sense of the rest of the Old Testament. Whenever you read a narrative book, a history part of the Old Testament, what you're seeing is Deuteronomy lived out in history. It's the people of Israel either living disobediently to God and experiencing the judgment of God or being faithful to God and experiencing the blessing of God. You get to those prophets, those mighty, weighty, 60-something chapter books that you're like, also a bit confused by to be honest. But you've got this person that steps up and they say, thus says the Lord, and they declare the word of God. What do they declare? Well, they, they show Israel specifically where they've been disobedient and fallen short and warning them of the judgment to come and then leading them into the promises of God, saying if you turn from that, if you turn back to God, you can experience the blessing of God. As Deuteronomy lived out, the Psalms, the songs and poems that are scattered throughout the Old Testament, they're celebrations of the God revealed in Deuteronomy and life lived out. The whole thing is dictated by Deuteronomy. It's so important. And so I wanna convince you that this is worth paying attention to. It'll inform your understanding of the whole of the Bible. Jesus took up the the words on his lips of Deuteronomy more than any other Old Testament book. When he was standing tempted before Satan, he said, man does not live on bread alone. And then the scriptural food that he used to to shoot back at Satan, what did he quote? Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy provides the background for the Jesus who steps into history, the son of God, to come and not bring a covenant of conditions where if you're faithful, you're blessed, if you're disobedient, you're punished. No, 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 because of the failure of Israel under Deuteronomy, Jesus steps in and brings grace upon grace. And Deuteronomy helps you just, Expand your vision of the love of God to you and to me. Are you convinced? I hope so. Deuteronomy is going to be fantastic for us. Um, so, what I want to do tonight is I just want to ground us in where we are in Deuteronomy so we don't get lost like 14 year old Nick. And then I want to just really simply and easily just walk you through four chapters. No worries, yeah? How, how annoying is that? You get told, if you're preaching Deuteronomy and you're preaching four chapters, don't worry. Brilliant. So, where are we? Deuteronomy, as I said before, the fifth book of the Pentateuch, the, the Jewish Torah, the law, um, treasured and held as the centrepiece of life under God. Genesis, really quickly, Genesis, God creates everything. Very good. Humanity rebels. Not good anymore. Sin, death, spiral. Get to Genesis 11, so much so that humanity's trying to build a tower to reach heaven and create a name for themselves. They're just rejecting God so much so that they want to be God. And then the chapter right after, God shows his faithfulness, and this is important, by offering a promise to a man named Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, write this down. If you haven't read this before, this is important to the understanding of the Old Testament. He promises to Abraham that he will be his God and give him a land, descendants that will outnumber the stars in the sky, and blessing. Land, descendants, blessing. Abraham becomes Isaac, Jacob, they end up in Egypt, and you get to Exodus. Exodus is the great story of redemption. All of Israel, now a big, great nation, but enslaved by the Egyptians. And Moses is called by God to step in front of Pharaoh, in front of the greatest empire of the time, and declare that God was the real God and that he was going to rescue his people. And he does that miraculously. He calls them out of Egypt. He parts the Red Sea. He crushes the Egyptian armies under their waves, and he leads them forward. He takes them to Mount Sinai, reveals his glory in fire and lightning, gives them the law. It says, you are my people. This is how you will live. And then they stuff it up. They build a golden calf at the very moment that Moses is up speaking with God and this is a constant theme, you're going to see this throughout the Old Testament, that God is so faithful, but they just keep stuffing it up. Um, Exodus leads into Numbers, and particularly just want to draw your attention to Numbers 13 to 14, another set of chapters that you should read if you haven't. Um, Potentially the most tragic moment apart from that initial fall in Genesis, because this is where a whole generation of Israelites, standing on the edge of the promised land, completely reject and rebel against their God. And so God says, I'm going to, I'm gonna judge you for your disobedience and your unfaithfulness. Every single one of you will die without seeing the promised land. But I I still am for you. That Abrahamic promise we talked about before, I'm not giving up on that. When God makes a promise, he doesn't give up on his promises. And so he says, the next generation to come, I'll lead them into the promised land. And so that previous generation that's gonna die, just doing circles in the wilderness Terrible way to live your life. We're talking hundreds of thousands of people packing up their tents every single day, walking around in circles, knowing that they're going to die before they get anywhere significant. And then we get to Deuteronomy. Everyone else has died, except for Moses, the leader. And they're standing on the edge of the promised land. Again, this is important. They're on the edge on the edge of the promised land in front of them, all the abundance and goodness that God wants to offer them right in front of them if they're willing to step into it. But behind them, the unfaithfulness of their ancestors, the rejection and rebellion that is their birthright, the disobedience that means wilderness and death. They have a choice to make. Will we lean back into our old ways or will we step forward? And that's where Moses comes in, Deuteronomy 1. This is his final moment before he dies. He's about to commission them, send them off into the promised land. These are his final words to a people who have watched their parents die, who have known nothing except for travel and hunger and pain and suffering. And he preaches to them. It's the first sermon. And you can just imagine, that's a weighty moment. You just think, Moses, what would you say in this moment? You've got a people like that in front of you, that know suffering like the back of their hand. What would you preach to them? I probably wouldn't preach what Moses preached, but that's probably why he's the inspired, you know, preacher of the Word of God and I'm just the guy who gets to talk about it later, right? Um, what he does is he tells them, and this is important, a single word that I think sums up everything that he's got to say in this first sermon. He tells them to remember. Remember. If you're gonna remember anything from this sermon, just remember that one word, remember. He's saying, you're standing on this edge and you could go two ways. You could go back or you could go forward but I'm calling you to remember. Remember the unfaithfulness of your parents and what happened to them and remember the faithfulness of God. And if you can do those two things, if you can remember that unfaithfulness and you can remember God's faithfulness, you will step into the promises of God. You will experience the blessings of God. Life will be what it's meant to be. And this promised land that's overflowing with milk and honey, apparently that's a good thing. I'm not into that, but it's abundant. You will enjoy that forever right? That's where we are. And that's the word to you and I, to remember, to remember our unfaithfulness in the past and to remember God's faithfulness in the present. Um, That's what we're going to do. I just want to walk through the narrative. I want to show you Israel and what Moses calls them to. And then I want to just show that what that means for you and me. Is that all right? So if you've got a Bible, keep that guy open. Um, If you haven't got a Bible, find a Bible. There's some in the pews everywhere around it. You're going to need it. We're walking through four chapters and we're in Deuteronomy chapter one. This is important. The first thing, that is of significance that Moses says to these people comes in one verse eight, and it's gonna be familiar to you. Um, He says, "'See, I have given you this land. "'Go in and take possession of the land "'the Lord swore He would give to your fathers, "'to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, "'and to their descendants after them.'" He's saying, remember that Abrahamic promise. Remember the unconditional promise that God would give this to you. You're standing on this edge. You're looking at the land. It is yours. You have nothing to be afraid of, nothing to fear. God has promised, if you're willing to step into that, He'll give it to you. Good way to start a sermon, yeah? That's great. Okay, I'm I'm down with that. But then he goes, verse 9, he starts talking about the appointment of leaders in Israel. I just thought that was a bit of a change of pace from Moses. I mean, like, he's a great preacher, but that seems like an odd choice for me. Um, but if you read, you can see that he's, he's actually doing something really wonderful here. Remember that Abrahamic promise? The promise of land, blessing, and what was the other one? Descendants. And as he starts to talk about leadership, here's what he says, verse nine. At that time I said to you, you are too heavy a burden for me to carry alone. Note this, the Lord your God has increased your numbers so that today you are as numerous as the stars in the sky. May the Lord, the God of your ancestors, increase you a thousand times and bless you as he promised. He's saying, look at this promise before you and to prove to you that this is a promise for you to step into, look back and just look around and see how God's already been faithful. He promised descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. They're everywhere here. God will be there for you. So this land that you're fearful of stepping into like your ancestors were, don't be afraid. God is there. God is for you. And so we get to verse 19 and we're ready. We're ready to do it. 40 years later, 38 years wandering, a couple more battles to come. They're there. They're ready to go. In verse 19, then as the Lord our God commanded us, we set out from Horeb, went toward the hill country of the Amorites through all that vast and dreadful wilderness that you have seen. So we reached Kadesh Barnea. Then I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors told you, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. These are the parents of the people who are standing there already on the promised land for the second time. We're talking about the first time here. And he's, he's talking in the past tense here. Notice that. The Lord's already given it to you. The promise is already fulfilled. The battle's already won. The, the, the work's already been done. All you've got to do is obey. Step forward, right? And you can imagine that if you really believed God, the God who spoke and universes came into being, the God who holds all things together, the God who separated the Red Sea and crushed the Egyptian armies. If you really believed this promise, what would the right response be? You just do it, right? You just step into that land. But, but obviously there's, there's a problem here. What do they do? They don't do that. Instead, verse 22, then you all came back to me and said, let us send ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we're about to take and the towns we're going to come to. Hey, why don't we just send some guys in just to check it out, see if they're as big as everyone said, and, you know, as the land might be as good as we think it's going to be. And you know what? Like maybe we just need to slow it down a little bit, hey? What if we just take it step by step? I know God wants us to go fast, but slow is steady, okay? You remember that tortoise and the hare thing? Got to be the tortoise here. Uh, and you think if Moses was the leader he was supposed to be, he would have just slammed that down right then. Do you really believe the God who loves you? Let's go. What does he say? Verse 23. The idea seemed good to me. (laughs) he thinks oh you know let's do it let's send those spies in there let's just see what's happening in that promised land Um, and so we get we get these spies they go in they check out what's happening verse 25 taking with them some of the fruit of the land they brought it down to us and reported it's a good land that the Lord our God is giving us so they know this is it this is the promised land he said it's abundant he said it's milk and honey there's grapes we love grapes you see it it's good verse 26 but you were unwilling to go up you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Um, This is the moment that commits a generation to death. That's strong. If you're like me, you read that, you go, God, isn't that an overreaction? You know, we're we're all fallible. Couldn't you just bear with them? Two things. One, this isn't the first time. This has happened again and again and again and again. The second thing is, they're not just, you know, a little bit afraid. Notice the language here. The Lord hates us. They're throwing accusations at God. And imagine this, using the very fact that he saved them from slavery as ammunition for their insults. He's just set us free from Israel from Egypt so that we can wander and have a terrible time to take the God who loves and just throw that back in his face? Blasphemous. Verse 28, where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites here. Moses is preaching to the next generation. He's saying, do you remember what your parents did? But notice, he doesn't say your parents. He says, you were unwilling to go up. He's speaking to the present generation and counting the past generation's sins against them. Because just as they've inherited the promise of Abraham, it's for them, they also stand in the lineage of this sin and brokenness. And God is good and gracious and He gives them a chance to do it differently. But He's saying, remember what your parents did and remember that that's your heart. You need to see clearly right now. You need to know that every inclination of your heart is sin all the time as Genesis teaches us. You need to know that if you aren't ready to see me, you're gonna walk right back into unfaithfulness. You're gonna fall apart. You're going to step into sin and rebellion and rejection, and you are going to hurt the God again who loved you. Moses is preaching up a storm here. He's saying, Remember the promise of God, but remember the unfaithfulness of your parents. And it went terribly for them. Don't be like them. And that's important. That's an important message for you and I, um, because we stand after thousands of years of tradition of biblical history, of church history where we see the way that God has been faithful to generations of churches and Christians, but equally we can see the mistakes of our brothers and sisters if they've wandered from God. You're supposed to see the Israelites here and say, that's me. You know, I think we love to throw shade at some of the biblical characters that are just a bit dumb. You're like, couldn't you just listen to God? Like, couldn't you have just stepped into the promised land? It would have been great. There was milk and honey and grapes. Like, you could have had a great time. But that's us, right? Right? Tell me that you're not someone who wanders from God. Tell me that you're not someone who has seen the goodness of God but still goes your own way at times. Tell me that you're not someone who, presented with all of the fullness of Christ, sometimes still chooses the dirty water of this world. We need to remember our unfaithfulness of history, past, and present day unfaithfulness. Because when we remember that, we're able to do it differently. We're able to receive and step into the faithfulness of God. And so Moses preaches that to them really strongly. This could happen to you. This happened to your fathers, so don't be like them. And so they go back, verse 2, and God continues to lead the new generation after 40 years of wandering all the way through to the promised land. He's just recounting these last few battles for them. Um, if you look into, we're gonna go quickly here. You look in chapter two from verse 24 all the way through to 37, you're gonna get the first battle. Um, the original generation terrified of their enemies. And so this is, a, this is a moment. Will they be like their past? Or will they believe God? And so you get in verse 24, set out now, this is God speaking, and cross the Arnon Gorge. See, I have given into your hand Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon and his country. God saying, it's already done. Go and take possession of that. So what did they do? Verse 34, at that time, we took all his towns and completely destroyed them. They stepped into the promise of God. And then chapter three, we get the next battle, defeat the, the, the Og, king of Bashan. They, they start journeying down this road and this, this king and his whole army marches out. And in verse two, the Lord says, do not be afraid of him for I have delivered him into your hands along with his whole army and his land. Do to him what you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites who reigned in Heshbon. I love this, verse three. So the Lord, our God gave us into our hands, Og, king of Bashan and all his armies. We struck them down, leaving no survivors. At that time, we took all these cities. There was not one of the 60 cities that we did not take from them. This is a victory beyond victory. These are a terrifying people that had managed to make the previous generation shake in their boots. And yet God gives them a victory where everyone is conquered. Every city is given into their hands. Everything that God promises comes true if we're willing to step into it. So from verse 12, that land that they've just conquered is divided up to some of the tribes of Israel. There's a bit of a foretaste of the promised land to come. Uh, he says, let's not stay here. Let's keep moving. And so that's where we are present day. Verse 21, we're standing on the edge of the Jordan River looking into the promised land and Moses is about to die. So he, he has some words for, for Joshua, verse 21. At that time, I commanded Joshua you have seen with your own eyes all that the Lord, your God, has done to these two kings. The Lord will do the same to all the kingdoms over there where you are going. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord, your God, himself will fight for you. Remember. Remember. Remember the victory of God. He'll give it to you again. You and me, we're standing on an edge. Israel, they are standing on the edge of the promised land Um, faithfulness before them, unfaithfulness behind them. But you and I, we stand on those very same edges every single day through so much of our time as Christians walking through life. We find ourselves in these edge moments. Um, Look at the way that, uh, that rebellious Israelites described their fear. Come back with me to chapter one, verse 27. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. Verse 28, where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Let me tell you, as you walk this Christian journey, there will always be a people stronger than you. There will always be cities larger and walls just too tall to conquer. If you're conquering a city, you're probably doing the Christian life wrong. It's a metaphor, yeah? It's this picture of the fact that there are gonna be moments before you where if you don't have the backing of God behind you, you should be afraid. You're standing on an edge where in your own strength, if you stand in it, you'll fall apart. He says, our hearts were melting with fear. But God promises victory. God promises victory. In fact, it's a victory he's already won. see, so we stand on another edge. You and I, we, we see Israel standing on the edge of the promised land. And you and I, we stand right now on the edge of the promised land. This, this life that we're living right now, it's just kind of like the waiting room. This is just really the place that we wait until life gets really good, Yeah before God ushers us into his glory, into his presence, before he takes hold of this mess of a world and makes it perfect and says, guys, it's going for eternity and I'm with you. This is, this is the edge to our promised land, the greater promised land to come. And we have a moment as Christians standing on this edge of will we be faithful to Jesus till the end? As we face these people, these cities, these walls, will we remain faithful to the promises of God? Or will we fall apart? Will we depart from Jesus? I don't know about you, but I've seen some of my closest friends walk away with Jesus, and it's the most heartbreaking thing. It's devastating to me. What advice would I have given to them? I can't think of better advice than Moses's. Remember. Remember. Let me just take us through some of the things that I think God's calling us to remember from this passage. We need to remember our unfaithfulness. Um, If you became a Christian at any point in your life and you can pinpoint the moment, there was a time where you were living in rebellion and and unfaithfulness to God. Um, And if you had a moment where you came to God, you have seen how those longings that you were trying to satisfy in this world just was not working. But when you came to Jesus, that was when you found that He was the one who satisfies That he's the one who offers forgiveness. And we need to remember that time before Jesus so that we can see how precious he is. It said that you can't know the grace of Jesus until you understand the weight of your sin. We need to remember for the depths of our soul how broken we were and how broken we are. We need to know that if we were left unchecked from the grace of God, we would wander and it would be terrible. We would be just like the Israelites. Remember your unfaithfulness. Because when you do, the grace of God just becomes so much more sweet and precious to you. And that will carry you forward. We need to remember the promises of God. Um, God made so many promises to Israel. And he's saying here, Moses is saying, if you just remember those and step into them, it will be for you. God will have you. In, In 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, here's what Paul writes about the promises of God. It's gonna come up on the screen. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ Jesus, Every single promise in the scriptures is yours to be claimed in the name of Jesus. It's already a yes. It's not a maybe in the future or if things are right and circumstances line up. Every single promise is yes in Christ Jesus. Here's my advice to you. Um, You should have a paper Bible because sometimes reading on your phone gets distracting. And when you spend time reading your Bible at home, just get a highlighter of a single colour. I learned this tip at Kik last weekend, the, the youth conference, and I just love this. Get a highlighter of one colour, And every time you see a promise of God in the Bible, just highlight it. You do that for a month, two months, a year. Soon your Bible's just gonna be covered in highlighter. And you could almost just really just like flip it open and just go, promise of God, right? Because when you remember those promises and actually believe them, God will carry you through. That's the spiritual strength that we need to to persevere, to know that we aren't just hoping for an unknown future. It's promised and it's ours. Remember the promises of God. Remember God's victory. Um, that, that was the big thing that Moses was saying here. Every time you fought a battle that God said he would win for you, you won it. You won it with complete and utter certainty. You and I, we need to remember that God has already proclaimed his victory in Christ. The battle's not to be won in the future. It's already been won on that cross 2,000 years ago. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, gonna come up on the screen. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the power of the cross. I love this. It's the greatest irony in history. This moment where sin and Satan are proclaiming their glory over the crushed Son of God, looking at Him upon this cross thinking, we did it, we got Him. It's that very moment that their demise was proclaimed, that Satan was crushed on that cross The shackles of sin upon you were set free. The victory has been completely won, so much so that he made a public spectacle of them. Do you know that you have already got the victory? You are free from sin. You are forgiven of every wrongdoing you have and you will ever commit. Remember that. When Satan's whispering to you, you're not really good enough. Maybe you should just give up. Remember, God's nailed that to the cross. When you're sitting there just laboring under sin and just kind of wondering again and again, you're like, I just can't seem to stop being this person that I don't want to be. Remember God's victory. He's already set you free. Live in the power of the Spirit. Remember God's victory. Remember God's presence. Um, This was a a theme running through all of this speech of Deuteronomy. God was with these Israelites. That's why it was so offensive for him to say God hates us because God had so tenderly walked with them. Um, At Mount Sinai in Exodus, there are 10 chapters, which also thoroughly confused 14-year-old Nick, by the way, 10 chapters dedicated to the the, the creation of the tabernacle, this tent of meeting. It was the place where the the 10 commandments were to be stored. And for the Israelite people, it was this mark of the presence of God with them. During the day as they walked, there was a cloud before them where God's presence led them forward. In the night, there was a pillar of fire that showed them the way to go. And you and I are thinking, man, God, if you just turned up in my life with a pillar of fire, I'd follow you anywhere. It didn't work for the Israelites, yeah? Um, God's presence was so tangible to them, and yet they forgot about it. They forgot that He was with them. But God is so much more with you than He ever was with those Israelites. Look with me, John 14, verse 17. The Spirit of truth, you know Him For he lives with you and will be in you. Do you know that every single breath that you take, every single moment that you exist, God is not just watching you from afar. He's with you. He's in you. And that's not just like a neutral presence. He's there empowering you, sometimes convicting you and rebuking you leading you forward in, in the Word of God to live for Christ. God is with you. But when we forget that God's with us, sometimes in those moments of despair or darkness, you think, God, where are, where are you? What are you doing? He's there. He's always there with you. Lastly, remember God's provision. Um, God provided so sufficiently and consistently for Israel. Um, you might have heard of it before. Whenever they would wake up in the morning, there would be manna on the floor, um, the bread of God. And there'd be quail. I don't don't think I've ever eaten a quail, but I can imagine it's a lovely meal. God provided this every single morning for the people of God. They would wake up and the food would be there. They're walking through this wilderness. They're experiencing so much pain and suffering, but they know that God will always provide for them. There's never a day they wake up thinking, we're gonna go hungry and we're not gonna have what we need because God provided every single time throughout their journey. He provides, he provides, he provides. And again, that's why it's such a slap in the face to say that God doesn't care because he was there for them. Now, I just want to say, this is a moment to, to start practicing gratefulness. Um, the, the, the reflection of the sin of the Israelites was a single word in one twenty seven. they grumbled. They grumbled. Grumbling reflects a heart that's spiritually sick. It reflects uh, an attitude of, I deserve and God hasn't come through. But gratefulness is the opposite. It's eyes to see the provision of God and give him thanks for what he's done. And so we need to be thankful for the houses that we live in, the food that we eat, the people in our lives. We, we need to. That's the practice of Christianity, to be thankful and grateful for all that God has done. But so much more than that, the manna in the desert was just a taste of what God could and will provide. Um, Jesus picks up this, this idea on his lips in John chapter 6. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. Thank God for your houses, your food, your, you know, your favourite armchair, the books that you read, all those wonderful things, but they pale in comparison to the bread that Jesus is to you. That every longing of your soul is satisfied if you come to Him. That you'll never have to worry that you're living the right life or walking the right path because He's already there satisfying that every longing within you. Remember God's provision to you. We, we do stand on an edge, and we need to see that. We need to know that, you know, every single day we're stepping forward into the faithfulness of God, and the key to doing that is to remember. Remember all that God has done. Remember his faithfulness. Remember his goodness. I'm going to sing about that. Let me pray as the band comes up. Father God, you are a good God, a powerful God, a God who loves those who don't deserve it. And God, we just want to remember that. We want to remember your grace that you have lavished upon us in Jesus. Would you help protect us from being people like the Israelites who who have seen and tasted that the Lord is good, but who have forgotten and who wander into unfaithfulness. Lord, would you guard our hearts from that sin? Would you make us a grateful people? Would you put on our minds, on our hearts and on our lips all of the goodness that you have offered us that we might walk with you forever? We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.